Welcome to The Witcher Lorecast, the show that explores the vast lore behind The Witcher games, show, and books. Toasty, I just realized that The Witcher Lorecast intro says The Witcher games, show, and books, because I recorded that back then when there was only one show, but now there are multiple shows. I probably need to update it. Just like everything in this world. Just, just cut in like a real quick, just sound. Show. Just right at the yeah. Shows and books. Shows and books. Yeah. Exactly. There you, yeah. go. there you go. I'll play with it. That's the key. But welcome back, audience. This is The Witcher Lorecast. This is your host, Tom. Or Robots. That's Toasty. Toasty. My all-knowing, all-loving companion. Not all-knowing. Don't put that on me. All right. He knows a lot of stuff, but not all, everything. And I also don't love a lot of stuff either. So yeah, don't was, put that on me either. kind of facetious as I said it. But kind you determine how facetious. So we uh, we got more Queen Maeve to talk about. She's as you you and I were talking before in the pre-show. She's a big lady. She's got a lot of important stuff going on. Mm-hmm. She's beefy. She's a, she's a Both beefy broad. And lore wise, yeah. So all right. So we've already talked about like a lot of the events from early in her her reign. The kingdoms that she covers, the stuff that happened during the second Nilfgaardian war. Mm-hmm. Where are we at? What else is there to discuss? I mean, that's like the whole thing, right? Uh, so we got a little bit more, Tom. Uh, just kind of like wrapping up the second uh, Nilfgaardian war and then, you know, some of the details that follow there. Um, spe- so specifically uh, after the Battle of the Bridge on the Yuruga which is where we last saw where she, you know, knighted Geralt's and then he stole some of her things and ran off when she was very unhappy about that. Um, <laughs> okay. She's next. She's heading home to Rivia. So her story's not done yet. Not it's done not yet. done yet. It's crazy. All right. All right. So she's headed back to Rivia after all the events. If you didn't, if you haven't listened to the previous episodes, go listen to them. This will make a lot more sense because this is a continuation. So, she heads back to Rivia. So what happens there? Uh, so now with a mighty host in tow, she returned to Rivia as a uh, legendary liberator. She went around with her guerrilla forces, just breaking any Nilfgaardian uh, military. You, your dog, my, your my, dog dogs, my dog's barking at my other dog. Uh, okay. Oh, no, not the dogs. Hey, um, come here. Stop barking. Oh, all right. Go on. Uh, and uh, both the Nilfgaardian military intelligence and Vilgefortz's cronies closely monitor activity. It was, in fact, her guerrilla campaign in Angren, crowned by the victory, that helped overturn the situation in the war as a whole. With bands of resistance rising throughout conquered realms of the north, such as Verdin, Nilfgaard had to withdraw the bulk of its forces from Lyria and Rivia to face them. Presented with an opportunity to retake her lost lands, Meave did not hesitate. So the guerrilla campaign pays off. Yes. Yeah, so in the long run. She does her guerrilla campaign. People are like inspired by it. So other like uprising and things start popping up everywhere and they have to like split their forces and decide what's the priority. Mm-hmm. Um, so they turn their attention to Verdin and Meave comes in the back door. It's like, I'm going to, I'm going to take my stuff back now. Thank you. 
Uh, yeah, this is one of those things that happens where like a regular military force has a very hard time dealing with guerrilla campaigns, especially multiple instances of guerrilla campaigns and not ever understanding where the enemy is going to be. I'm sure the Nilfgaardians were, were like, I just line up and line up and march on us already and let's put an end to this because they knew they had bigger numbers. Mm-hmm. But if you could hide in the forests and pick people off and just cause cause kind of a nuisance to the to the forces, that's really that's it's going to give them a morale hit, but it also creates a situation where they have to pick and choose where they can be, and they don't necessarily know where all the gorillas are. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, Willem, uh, her her son that Willem. Kind of stabbed her in the back, Willem, yeah, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, stabbed her in the back to to get put in charge of like her area under Nilfgaard's control, uh, and where the fact that he couldn't defeat her offered her an alliance at the ruins of the Devil's Tower. Meave heard out her son's proposition, who maintained he would join her if he remained the heir to the throne. His advisors wouldn't be punished, and his already authorized reforms remain in place. Uh, and so this is a, a tall order. This stuff is part of the, the throne breaker game. Um, so you have options. Uh, so if Meave doesn't accept, uh, those conditions, however, sounded unacceptable to Meave's heirs and Willem was forced to return to his castle empty handed. Um, or if Meave arrests Willem angered by his audacity, Meave ordered her troops to arrest Willem on account of treason, then toss him in the dungeons and keep them there until his death. Wow. Yeah. That's a tough way to punish your kid. Yeah, well, he stabbed <laughs> her in the back, as you know. Um, or thirdly, if Ameev accepts Willem's condition, although her own son stabbed her in the back and sold her own country to Nilfgaard, Ameev finally forgave Willem and accepted his conditions. She praised his impertinence, calling it a trait worthy of any future king akin to self-confidence. Her own conditions were that Willem would abdicate and fight at the fore every time, which Willem promptly agreed to. Basically wow. leaves him in charge, uh, but he has to fight at the head of his troops every every battle. Right, you got you got to leave from the front, buddy. Um, this is interesting because none of these are necessarily canon because they're all options in the game, and we don't have, mm-hmm. as far as I know, we don't have a story after this to say like this is definitively what happened in the situation. Right. But I can imagine. I don't know. Thinking about the way May Maeve is. I mean, she is a mother, but William, Vil, William, Willem, uh, those are some tall orders. He did, he did a really, he did a real dirty. I feel, oh, I like, feel like she, I feel like the most advantageous thing to do here would, even if she still loved him because he was her son, would be not to, that would basically be to arrest him on the spot. I think that's probably, yeah, probably. Cause it's like, it's also like, you know, the, being stabbed in the back by family like love but that's like that's that's deep betrayal that's deep yeah that's dark and and um, if she were to get rid of him and able to take some of his troops into her side and be like listen i'm the queen get in line or we will trounce you you know now her forces grow and there's some benefits to that as well plus how do you how do you trust a guy who stabs you in the back it's tough uh approaching the city of rivia uh, me liberated Broadhead, Cavaldoon, and other towns from Imperial garrisons. At last, she got to the Rivian capital with its massive dungeon. Uh, after a long, strenuous battle for Rivia Castle, her troops ousted Ardal Abdahi, who 
escaped to the ruins of Aldersburg with what remained of the East Army Group. Upon repelling a relief force sent to aid at Dahi, the Queen began preparations to march for Aldersburg and deal with him once and for all. So she was trying to put him down. Basically, she's Mm. he's on the run at this point, and she's just conquering piece after piece and just removing any uh, advantage he has. Yeah. Uh, And he's one of his one of the top generals here. So, like, it's a super advantageous position to put him out because then, Mm -hmm. you know, it's that like fall down effect of like, oh, we don't have leadership. What do we do? Um, Yeah. And uh, so reaching Demovin and Hinsult, who had come to terms at about this point, she learned of a Nilfgaardian messenger called when and intercepted him discovering that he carried an order from the emperor which would force Abdahi to poison himself the queen laughed and allowed him to deliver his message a while later later the three allied rulers strengthened by redanian reinforcements routed the Nilfgaardians in a decisive battle despite the empire still having a significant numerical advantage wow another another unexpected moment they basically come out of the shadows, all unify, have a legitimate fight with a bigger force and win. Yeah. This is interesting. It's like the, it's like the, the emperor, like giving that order as well. Like thing, but we know Amir's got like weird, weird stuff going on over there. So or sorry, <laughs> the white flame, the white flame, the white flame. Uh, and that is, that is, um a conclusion to end game or game canon content at the at the moment from thronebreaker uh, right yeah from thronebreaker uh vic uh for victory in late march 1268 she along with a number of other important northern monarchs reached Sintra in order to meet with shillard fitz Austerlin, an ambassador heading the emperor's delegation in order to set up a peace treaty after her arrival, Meeve and her entourage were assigned a part of the city to stay in during the discussions. Before entering the throne room for negotiations, the monarchs walked through a small gallery full of heraldic emblems and coat of arms of central nobility, both the ancient and more recent. There, Meeve pondered about the fate of her dear cousin, Calante, uh, which is weird apparently everyone's related uh yeah yeah we talked about that briefly in one of the earlier episodes but it makes sense royalty is commonly mm-hmm. interrelated through even just a few generations yep uh Calanthe, her daughter pavetta and granddaughter cirilla a moment after hier- hierarch i don't know that word that word baffled me for a moment uh hierarch <laughs> cyrus inglekind hamelfort uh, hamelfart <laughs> yes, listeners, it is Hemel, H-E-M-M-E-L, fart, F-A-R-T, not fort, fart. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was just waiting. I like, I was like, mm-hmm. uh, he's going to notice mm-hmm. that it says fart, and mm-hmm. he's going to have to note about that. So. I, I mean, it's, it's a great name, Cyrus Engelkind Hemel fart. That's a that just rolls off the tongue. Yeah, it's a delicious yeah. name. So anyway, uh, so what is what is the hierarch? A do? moment after hierarch Cyrus Engelkind Hamelfart accepted as the talks chairman, beckoned her to take a seat at the round table. When the talks got around to Lormark, back to Lormark. So Lormark wow, just keeps freaking, coming up. Lormark. Hanselt frantically refused to hand it back to Dimavend after Chancellor Sigismund Dijkstra 
asked him to calm down. Hansel scolded him for such a remark, exclaiming that he was a king for fuck's sake. <laughs> Causing me Classic uh, insult. to snort how apparent that was. It's just basically, they're just getting into a fight here. Uh, the argument then continued, but Meave entered it only once to praise Demovin's choice to recognize Dol Blathana's autonomy. Mm. So we talked about that in Demovin's uh, episode a, a while back that he he gave them their autonomy. Um, one ironed out clause pertaining to Meave's monarchy, Lyria in particular, stipulated that the thousands of resettled Nilfgaardians would be repatriated, taking home only what could be carried over the shoulder basically get out get out of the country yeah they're not going to kill them they're not going to keep them as prisoners but they're also not going to help them out basically take what you can and go and they need to leave like now because like yeah they don't have time to pat it's just on the shoulders that's that's rough that's take what rough. you can carry yeah we're not giving you any help imagine a lot of people died on that that expectation so yeah um yeah after several topics were concluded, me brought up the status of Sintra. The northern rulers expected to have a few different options, such as making the Sintran capital a free city and ruling the rest as a jointly governed principality. The Nilfgaardian delegation, however, quickly brushed this aside, announcing the coming wedding of the emperor with Princess Cirilla. On 2nd April, uh, the final what? Draft- yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I just vomited a little bit in my mouth. Yeah, we're talking pretty, about some Targaryen bullshit right here. Right, we're talking about the emperor who <clears throat> as we find out is Ciri's father mm-hmm. and his daughter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Ciri. Yep. being wed for political reasons. Mm-hmm. Super gross. Yeah. Yeah. It's Targaryen bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. I don't think Ciri would be down with this. Yeah, I don't think so. Either. I don't think I mean I just kind so of a, you know a little bit I know about her. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pretty yeah. sure she's not into that. Yeah, pr- pretty sure. Uh, on second April, the final draft of the Peace of Sintra was signed, ending the war. To honor the imperial wedding, bells rang throughout Sintra, and a new portrait showing the Queen Empress was hung in the palace. Uh, approaching it, Meve thought the girl looked utterly unlike Calanthe, Pavetta, or Ragnar of Ebbing. She remembered the rumors about a decoy, but decided to keep it to herself. Hmm. So uh, yeah, uh, from what I remember, uh, basically they like had a, the the Nilf Guardians had like a decoy of Siri because they still hadn't gotten her yet. So they were right. just like, "Well, we have her. This is her. This and, is uh, this is her." They found gonna, some. Yeah, we're gonna get married. Some but, some blonde girl, and they're like, "Yeah, this this is her." Um, they play with this in the show a little bit. There's the scene where uh, Calanthe tries to pass off another girl as Siri. Mm-hmm. Uh, for Geralt, I believe, right? And um, yeah, what she she does do that in the books as well. Yeah, so she like, does try to fool Geralt, and Ciri's not in the group of. She's like, you have to pick from this group, or something like that. And it's uh, he figures out like that she's not there, and yeah. that someone else. So he's a smart yeah, she, dude. But yeah, it seems perceptive. like it seems like a thing that keeps happening. Everybody's like, mm-hmm. yeah, we've got Ciri. She's right here. Yeah. Uh, uh, not long afterwards, great celebrations were held in Novigrad. Meave, along with other monarchs, including late Vitsimir's wife, Hedwig of Melior, and young son Radovid V, was seated at a review stand to witness the fireworks and the parade of victorious forces. When the Mahakam Volunteer Army marched below them, many of its members showed that 
they thought about budget cuts via crude gestures to which Meeve commented the Kings weren't supposed to apply them. She then went on to note that they shouldn't have insulted such an ambitious nation as the dwarfs. <laughs> so wait, so they, they have these feelings, uh, <clears throat> obviously not positive about these budget cuts and some of the, some of the laws that have been passed recently. Right. Mm-hmm. And so being grumpy dwarves, they all decide to start gesturing with specific fingers yeah, yeah. At, at the royalty yeah yeah i mean the dwarves yeah they're like ah oh, screw you ah, take one up the shaft ah. yeah yeah uh but again i mean humans and dwarves bickering about things so mm-hmm. big surprise mm-hmm. right yeah and them getting pissed off about things like budget cuts that have to do with them and yet they have no representation and all of that stuff mm-hmm. totally it's totally makes sense totally plays mm-hmm. it's funny that things come back around to that even though they were at a point where they were so helpful to Maeve at one point well i think it's like that kind of like that same like they're so focused on the elder races or yeah the elder races and then they start fighting other humans mm-hmm. and that kind of gets pushed to the side except for like the Scoia'tael and whatnot that they're dealing with but it's like they have fo- they're focused on the Nilf guardians and then the moment they're not focused on the Nilf guardians anymore what does it fall back to right same cycle right. of racism yeah so it's, it's just uh, that cycle it just keeps going back to it yeah it's but funny it's cool because life kind of does that too and in, in the real world yeah unfortunately it is crazy uh yeah no but it is good like quote like how more of just like how Meve, like she's less of like she's not as involved with things she's like just kind of like silently perceiving and occasionally adding things here or whatnot and just seeing more like of that and then of course that she's like hey don't insult the dwarves yeah it's bad yeah she, so she stands up for them yeah supportive uh supporting of the dwarves unlike most other you know most of the northern kingdom so right Right. Throughout a lot of this, I mean, we, we keep coming back around to her hanging out with some of the other the other leaders or the other emissaries or whoever. And in a lot of it, it still seems like she's one of the few that really has her head on her shoulder her shoulders. Un- unlike, uh, you know, Hensolt or, you know, Demovend. You know, like, she's had such a hard time with the doors, too. So, like, to the fact that she still isn't, like, falling into the same practices of other people. Because, like, all the work that she did in Mahakam that ended up being fruitless anyways, trying to get their help, but being shut down and still she's like, no, don't, don't like, she's still standing up for them. Yeah. Yeah. She's interesting. She's one of the most capable of the leaders. It's like Mm -hmm. so many of the, the Kings are kind of jokes in their own ways. Um, yeah, but she she's definitely can hang. That's very cool. All right. Well, we've got some more stuff. We got to take a mid break here. Thank our patrons. What do we talk about when we get back? Uh, we're just finishing up following the post-war and then our legacy after. Nice. All right. Well, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Very well. Let us get this over with. Something has infested my vineyard. Mm-hmm. Great. Let me go prepare my something oil then. All right. Here we are in the middle of the show and we've got a brand new patron to welcome on board. Harley D. Welcome to the Patreon. And I'm excited. We're going to get the chance potentially to chat with you at the end of the month because you're a tier four patron. So thank you for the support. We very much appreciate it. That brings the count up to 18 and 
two higher vampires, Ben of Tamaria and Jared M, who get shout outs every week as tier five higher vampire patrons. So thank you to everybody for the support. We really do appreciate it. And uh, also, if we got any new ratings or reviews in or reviews with the ratings, then we would read them out today. But we don't have any new ones. So if you'd like to help us out and you've got an Apple podcast account, even if you don't listen on Apple podcasts, you can head on over there, find the show, drop us a rating, give us a five-star rating with a review, and we'll read that out on the future episode. Also, you can do this on Spotify. At least you can do the rating on part on Spotify. You don't have reviews yet, which would be nice. Mm. Um, but in either place, it helps us out because people then learn that, Hey, this is a good show. It's worth checking out and it helps grow our audience. So we really do appreciate that. I hope you guys have been enjoying this deep look at one of the coolest monarchs in the realms. Um, this is Spooptober. So we are eventually going to hit a bestiary episode. At least we'll do at least one for this month. Right. Maybe yeah. two, maybe two, maybe one. We were thinking about doing a few of them, but we, there's so many, only so many monsters, and we kind of hit these monthly anyway. So we wanted to at least finish Maeve's story before we moved on to a, be, a bestiary. So yeah. I know Toasty's cooking up something spooky for us for the month. So we'll be we'll be covering that coming up soon. But uh, that's it for the middle of the show. Let's get back to it. You smell of death and destiny, heroics and heartbreak. It's onion. Right, yeah. All right, we're back. Let's so let's talk about what happens after this. So she goes on about uh restoring her power again. Uh because she's you know lost control here a couple of times. Right. Um, she still hasn't reclaimed everything at this point yet. Yeah. She's taken so some of the land back, but not everything. Yeah, so they kind of like because she put like you know, or, or depending on what you choose here, obviously, um, with, with that choice. Um, but it was mostly just like alliance to get Nilfgaard out. And then now that the peace treaty or peace talks are done, uh, kind of going back and, and setting up power. Um, so just a small note, um, Although Dandelion posited the queen wouldn't hold a grudge for long after their desertion and even allowed Geralt to stay in Rivia if she knew he was there, Meave cursed the white-haired witch's name whenever she heard it. <laughs> because he left and took the stuff. And, yeah, yeah, because he abandoned yeah. her. Right. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, and moving on to a lot of these details we get from more game canon. Uh, during the eventful summer 1271, when following Demovin's murder, Hinsult invaded Adern, Meave didn't come to its aid. Whilst Yarpen Zigrin mused about a regiment of heavy arbalists from Lyria, the defenders in Vergen concluded Meave wouldn't risk extra casualties after having her army bled dry in the prior war with Nilfgaard. Uh, Makes sense. I mean, she is probably still a bit understaffed with soldiers and everybody's worn out from the war. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Toasty's Toasty screen disappears and comes back. I can see the light. I can see the. I can see the light turn off, and then you made a face. I thought maybe your screen turned off or something. (laughs) Yeah, a little weird, funky thing. That was yeah. Um, Alas, the peace didn't last in August. Novgardians took the border patrols by surprise and captured most of her territory before December. Unbeknownst to her, the one-time operatives of Tamarian intelligence Bernard Ducat and Vernon Roche parlayed with field field marshal. Havert Var Moen 
behind everyone else's back, offering to stop fighting Nilfgaard, assassinate Radovid, and accept the annexation of Adern and Lyria in exchange for Temeria's autonomy. Oh, so people are kind of planning behind everybody's back. Mm-hmm. Concurrently, Dijkstra plotted to take over Redania as Chancellor again, refuse the deal with the Emperor, and unite the remainder of the North until it won. Uh, so, particularly details of the The Witcher Three, yeah, like that whole quest line of like uh, assassinating a Radovid. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at any rate, by 1275, Anse decided to join the International Knights Tourney in Toussaint for the third time in a row. She disapproved and forbade him to participate. Nevertheless, the younger son disobeyed Meve, who then noticed his prolonged absence from the palace and sent a message to him. In it, she informed Anse that she ended his monthly allowance regardless of his placement and wished him fun. <laughs> Good luck down there she in Tucson. She disowned her son because he, he went to too many tourneys. See ya, dude. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That's why I didn't put that to, the two together because it's been so long since I played um, the Tucson stuff, but that's, oh, that's funny. Yeah. All right. <laughs> those are details that we get uh from the witcher 3 and- it's so good because it's so, all of this is so intertwined right like mm-hmm. like like they, they even do the dlc for Toussaint, that whole you know the whole section with the tournament and all that stuff and that still ties back to other royalty and some of the characters that are there like her younger son happens to show up and like having at the time played through that and not really thought about any of this too too critically i it didn't really occur to me but now it makes sense right like oh okay that's that's whose son this was i get it yeah queen yeah so uh kind of just even like just small details that are intertwining um and as for the legacy of queen meave or at least what we know so far uh or we can't suspect right right Uh, and this is past the end of her story this would be like in the far future sometime yeah. Uh, in the end, Queen Meave went down in history, both popular and chronicled, as a stern but just bold and unyielding monarch, earning her place among the likes of Bienvenu the She Wolf or Calanthe the Lioness. That's pretty, that's after, pretty high shoulders. Those are some yeah. shoulders to rub up against. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, after all, she wasn't frequently dubbed a second Calanthe by contemporaneous scribes for nothing. Moreover, even before she died, the tales of her match with Keltulis got widespread to the point where Rodolf Kasmer, a wandering merchant, heard several of them during his journeys. That and all other stories from Mew's first guerrilla campaign were relayed by Borch three jackdaws to his captors while on their way to Zeracania. Borch three jackdaws or Villager Tinmirth, the dragon, the right. golden dragon. Right. So... Yeah. She is so storied that a dragon told stories about her. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. And, and, and the fact that we get this like secondary source kind of thing, like people are telling stories. And so that's how we know some of this stuff, at least at this point in the, in the story. Um, this is cool. This is cool. I, I love how we've talked about this before for a series of novels and also games that were, and the games are designed by way more people than you know somebody right. some one person who writes a novel but the novel is the seed of it all and a novel written by a man a male man who regularly gives women such interesting dynamic personalities 
interesting characters, powerful leaders. Um, yeah, and not just in the characters like uh, Siri or Yennefer, you know, like not, not just your main, not characters. just the main character. Yeah. Right. Like if you were to line up all the leaders of the different kingdoms, then Calanthe is going to rise to the top and mm-hmm. Maeve is going to rise to the top. And many of the men are actually incompetent or jokes. Right. And you get, you have characters like Dijkstra who clearly a competent guy could could have been a king if he was in the lineage of it but wasn't and so therefore managed to quote unquote rule as much as he could through the current ruler mm-hmm. becoming like a chancellor or something essentially like right what he could get right so you get characters like that that are powerful and interesting in their own ways and sometimes very dark but um but when it comes to the women you you get a lot of them and they're not just it's not just a, a random occurrence it's not like some writers where it's like yeah, everybody's kind of well, yeah, there's mostly average people and like oh, yeah, there's these women they do kind of whatever and then there's a really great one right here right mm-hmm. for these works you get awesome women across the board lots of different right. places from lots of different cultures and it's it's really cool yeah and there it's 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 also just like great to see that like it gets continued by the company because i mean there's by cdpr within the games that's what you're saying yeah well it's just like there's so many like accounts and like instances of like like we hear about like women being treated poorly in like the games industry and like i imagine like with that kind of situation like it doesn't just limit to like the women they work with but like can like translate across to like right. the pieces of fiction that they're playing and like having those kinds of like awful tendencies being portrayed out into the works, but to still see that they carry it on, uh, like not only like make them some of these women who were already cool and powerful, even cooler and more powerful <laughs> right. or even, and not even just like the main characters we see, like, you know, Triss and Unifer, uh, but like, you know, the whole throne breaker thing with how extensive, like how much of this stuff, was expanded upon in Thronebreaker. It's a quite a significant chunk of it. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. giving her like these this like powerful war history of being basically the most successful general in the entire like sucking Nilfgaardian war. Right. She's the one she put in the most work. Right, right. And and uh committed to alternate types of warfare in order to achieve her goals through the guerrilla forces and working with the dwarves and all of that stuff. So thinking out of the box and, and all of that, you know, extremely capable. So it's very, very cool stuff. Um I'm glad that we took the time to investigate uh Maeve more i'm sure we'll do some of this with some of the other leaders as well and find some of them don't quite match up to her qualities most but (laughs) (laughs) but but it'll be fun it'll be fun so all right well that's this episode thank you everybody for tuning in and thanks for being here toasty you got anything going on or or do you do you know specifically what we're going to talk about next week have you decided yet so I didn't, I didn't forget it was a request from someone in the discord and I was like, Oh yeah, was, we could do, they do that because I mean the best diary, I don't, there's no, I'm not particular about the order we go in and you know, sure. this, this particular monster, this particular iteration of this creature was pretty spooky in the Witcher three when she was haunting that house. So we're going to talk about godlings. Godlings. Yeah. Godlings. Oh yeah, fun. And little Sarah yeah. just tormented that house. Right, that know, lady, so the lady who's uh, owned the house was so freaked out. She, I think she was hey. sure there was a ghost. Right, that's exactly. that's how the story so, goes. You know, that's pretty spooky. 
pretty yeah. spooky for Spooptober. Yeah, so, I like it. We're talking like about it. goblins. Yeah, and then you finally meet her, and, and I love I love the way Geralt gets to interact with her and like treats her like a little kid. You know, it's like, hey, it's, it's all right. Come on out. Come I mean, on. We out. know how he like he does like he he likes or he he deals and treats with respect the monsters with like sentience, you know, or right. like like right. you know good intelligence. And like these are just there's like children. Yeah, I mean, because we get Sarah and um, his the, name Johnny, the little guy in the Johnny. forest. Yeah, um, uh, like they're both they're both like intelligent, but they're just like kids essentially. So right, right. It's cute. It's cute. You get this kind of like sort of almost daddy girl kind of situation. But we'll talk about that next week. What else you got going on? Uh, so I got the usual. Follow us the Witcher Lorecast on Twitter. Um, also go check out the Cyberpunk Lorecast. Uh, we are doing, we're talking about edge runners over there for anyone who's seen, uh, the Netflix, uh, anime for, for cyberpunk, um, kind of going through episodes, talking about stuff that we liked, you know, details we noticed and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, and then of course, uh, still doing the, uh, cyberpunk red live play podcast, cyberpunk, cyberpunk apostrophe D with the, uh, fumbling for an almighty crit gang over there. Um, nice and that's about it that's about it all right yeah my stuff's all at robotsradio.net including the shows that toasty does including all the other shows on the network and my shows so come join us over there i also uh am going to be streaming all at the regular times that i normally do we've got the podcast streams but during my game streams mondays wednesdays and fridays in the afternoons here in the states i usually stream for about two to three hours in those afternoons at some point i will be giving away stuff because Bethesda reached out to me because I do the Fallout lore cast and celebrating 25 years of Fallout. So they're like, hey, we're giving a bunch of content creator stuff to just give out because we want to celebrate. So if you are interested in getting Bethesda type stuff like $100 gift cards for the Bethesda store, which is nothing to sneeze at, then come on, hang out. All you got to do is show up for the streams and on random streams at random times, I will be giving stuff away. So I'd love to have you come hang out. This is where this is where the community hangs out. In fact, today we were uh, I was writing music. I was playing guitar and we were writing music and uh, hanging out together. So lots of fun stuff over at twitch.tv slash robots radio. But that's what we got for this week. We will see you next time. And thanks for being here until then. Stay safe on the path. All right. See you later. Thanks for tuning in to the Witcher Lorecast. We'd love to hear about your experiences with the games and the books and the TV series and all your thoughts on everything. Please check out the Robots Radio Discord and follow us on Twitter at Witcher Lorecast. You've been listening to a Robots Radio podcast. Smart shows for interesting people. Check out all the shows at robotsradio.net.